Greetings, cinephiles. Are you looking for a movie analysis podcast that stands above the rest? Then look no further than Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters. We analyze good movies, we analyze bad movies, and yes, we also analyze the in-betweens of the world of cinema. So if you like what you hear, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And yes, my friends, we are 420 friendly. So when you listen to us, smoke smoke it it if you've got got it. it. And now... Here's a new episode of Collateral Gaming. The show starts right now. I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Megan Gomez. And this is Collateral Gaming Season 5. Woo! Welcome to Collateral Gaming, the only gaming podcast that matters, where you focus on good games, bad games, and everything else in between in the world of gaming. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are 420 friendly. So, whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. Smoke it if you've got it. And yes, we're that also is the... podcasting out of Georgia. <laughs> also, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about reworking the intro a little bit, because, you know, up, up, up. Within the core crew of Collateral Gaming, uh, most of us are on the East Coast now. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> in fact, you know, y'all, y'all motherfuckers in Georgia outnumber me, and and that's just downright <laughs> infuriating. But it's okay because I may possibly be relocating to somewhere else as well due to occupational developments. But that's a story for another time. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you did hear Bo Maddox do the uh, his very first collateral gaming lead-in. I hope I did well. Yeah, I faltered there a little bit. You're so, I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's usually our lead-in guy on Collateral Cinema, except for the episodes that I do. But uh, yeah, I thought that because this episode is very near and dear to him, and as our most recurring guest host, it, it was it was it was definitely. Uh, yeah. It's definitely the right time. Yeah, definitely, especially for a game as important and, you know, paradigm sh- shifting as this one, you know? This is true. Yes, we are talking about Final Fantasy VII. But first, we have a lot of developments in the world of gaming to talk about. Um, <laughs> we got both a Nintendo <laughs> Direct. We got some news from Ubisoft. Megan, you seem pretty excited about this. Go ahead and talk about it. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm going to break the news because y'all always get to break the news. We are getting a new freaking Zelda game! I'm so excited. I squeaked a little bit. I'm not even mad. I, y'all, I'm so excited because I know we always talk about Zelda on our podcast and it's just a big thing for us. We're all huge Zelda fans here and I cannot wait to see what else Nintendo is doing, especially because they're still holding up with these big consoles and all this stuff with the Steam Deck and PCs. They're still making the most beautiful, interesting games. And I can't wait to see where our our favorite adventurer Link is going to go this time because he's always doing something, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. And I, yeah, let me just let you guys know, wink, wink, nudge nudge we are making some adjustments to (laughs) our season five schedule uh that would have already been set because of this news uh Mm -hmm. the chain is actually kind of interesting zach was the one that called me letting me you know asking did you watch the nintendo direct and i wasn't even i knew that it was coming but i wasn't aware that it was happening that day 
And I, I thought and, it was the next day. <laughs> yeah. So we are getting the Legend of, of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Yes, it is Tears, not Tears. That has been officially confirmed. Uh, whether or not that there's meant to be kind of a dual entendre slash uh, homonym thing going on remains to be seen. But uh, this is the official title of the sequel to Breath of the Wild. And... Whew, we don't know a lot about the gameplay yet, but we did get another trailer. I'd love to do an episode just kind of breaking down all the footage we've gotten so far because <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, but it's a lot. <laughs> we are definitely going to be including that as soon as it comes out. Uh, cannot wait. Uh, we did get a release date of May 12th. So, yeah, it's happening. Wait, we are getting present for me. <laughs> It's funny because Zach texted me or he called me and he was excited because he thought it was coming out on his birthday because he read it out as he read it as 12.5. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He called you and then you texted me and I was on my way back into work from lunch and you were like, did you see the Nintendo Direct? And I was like, no, what happened? And you're like, bro, we're getting a new Zelda game. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> So, yeah, that's how the chain went. Uh, Zach called me, I texted Megan, and we were all super, super, super stoked. Uh, also, uh, part of the Nintendo Direct, we got the next Fire Emblem game, Fire Emblem 17, Fire Emblem Engage, with uh, Toothpaste Chan and uh, Captain Captain Colgate. Captain Colgate? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What? Pe Pepsi Man. Uh, the, the new character designs are um, they're interesting. I, I don't know yeah. how I feel about them. The game apparently is somewhat gotcha-y so from what people are saying, but I remain optimistic. I really loved Three Houses, and this looks to be kind of a little bit similar to that, but there seems to be a system where you can actually work alongside lords of previous Fire Emblem entries, um, including Barth and Sigurd, who has yet to see the light of day in the West. We, we have yet to get a, a you know official localization of Fire Emblem 4, but I think that that's a hint that we're getting a remake here pretty soon. So that mm -hmm. would be nice to get Genealogy of the Holy War. Maybe 3776 would be kind of a nice package deal. Uh, what else happened with the Nintendo Direct? We're getting a lot more ports from big games, which I think is a big step for Nintendo because um, we've already had a Plague Tale come over. That's a pretty big game, um, especially considering the storage capacity of the Switch itself. Um, we're going to be getting, um, let's see, we're getting No Man's Skies brought over. Um, we're getting a couple more games, but we're getting a lot larger capacity games being brought over to the Switch, which makes me think that they might be making something after the OLED system with a little bit bigger capacity just to be able to handle this kind of stuff, which is very exciting because um, while the Switch is in essentially a console, it is very portable. Um, and honestly, I haven't seen a lot on the Steam Deck. It seems that Nintendo is still just pulling the punches um, and, and you know, kind of waiting a little bit. But they're about to just right hook somebody. You know, um, they're they're still carrying the market, and I and I love that for Nintendo because they've they've done so wonderfully with the Switch. Um, I've been playing it, you know, on and off uh, between that and my PlayStation because I got my PlayStation clean. So she's she's finally performing as she should be, um, which I did have a little bit that I wanted to talk about that whenever we get into talking about playing the game um, and, and doing, you know, all of that stuff with Final Fantasy. But um, I, I'm really excited to see what else Nintendo is going to do. It makes me think that maybe we are going to be getting a full capacity console if you're not wanting the portability of the Switch or you don't really move the Switch too much. Um, because we haven't seen any new systems besides just like a redone Switch in a while. And we haven't heard anything from Nintendo in a while besides like what they're releasing on the Switch itself. So I'm kind of I'm kind of waiting and keeping my ear open for that. Uh, we've also got some other big news coming 
coming out, though, if I don't know if you, if you were to talk about it or if you want me to talk about it, that's up to you, my guy. Well, I mean, we also got, as part of the Nintendo Direct, there was Pikmin 4. I think you mentioned the sequel to Tunic, which was an indie game that came out mm-hmm. um, a little while back. Uh, also, Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII uh, w- Reunion, which is the remake of uh, Crisis Core, uh, which ties into what we're talking about today, is going to be coming to Nintendo Switch and other consoles on in, in December. So excited about that because I've never played Crisis Core and it will be really fun to be able to get in uh, Zach's shoes. And I've even seen, you know, a little bit of gameplay of the new title uh, so that the remaster looks like it's going to be an, uh, a fun way to experience this title, uh, both for the first time and for uh, people that played the original game. Yeah, because I played the original and I, I, I did play it on actually my PSP, uh, which which was a lot of fun. And I, I remember doing a lot of that in my childhood. And, and I'm excited to see how they're going to do this remake because the way that they've done the original seven, which we'll get to in a bit, has been very, very interesting for me. So I, I'm really excited to see what else they're going to do because they're they're really kind of they're moving forward a lot because a lot of people were kind of disappointed with 15 so to see them kind of going back and going back into these very nostalgic games i'm like oh let's go baby like i can't wait i'm so excited seven remake was actually very well received and we will be talking about that Mm -hmm. rest assured but uh yeah focusing on the uh the the, the compilation news. of Final Fantasy VII, I think, is a good move because you know that is definitely the most critically acclaimed title in the series, something mm-hmm. that we will be referring to in this particular episode. We also got new Assassin's Creed games announced from Ubisoft. Uh, not only are we getting a return-to-form game set in Baghdad, I believe, called Assassin's yes. Creed Mirage. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is going to actually kind of kind of return back to the series more stealthy formats. We are also getting uh, two more console games, uh, which are actually going to be more of the open world format that we've seen in from uh, Origins Odyssey and Valhalla. One of which does include Feudal Japan. So Ubisoft, you waited. Ghost of Tsushima came out first. I'm still excited to see what you do with this setting. Uh, those mm-hmm. that is going to be called that is right now tinted titled Codename Red. We're also getting Codename Hex, which seems to be related to witches. I'm so excited for that. You have no freaking idea because like the way that Assassin's Creed goes about bringing forward these subjects of like history i want to see how they're going to do this because like are they gonna you know like they've like had little hints but is it going to be like salem is it going to be like a different type of witch like what are we getting they're just like oh it's going to be witchy and i'm like okay like what kind of witch because like are we gonna like do like have like hex challenges or is it just gonna be like straight out just like do oh you need to collect this and this for your altar to unlock this power like there's so many ways they could go with this and it's an interesting trope to kind of go with because it's not something that they've done before same thing with the feudal Japan. They're kind of going off in a different direction, um, almost how, as they did with um, like the revolutionary style and the pirating style. Um, and they're kind of branching off, but they want to make it sneaky. And, and they're kind of doing that in, in an excellent way, because in Baghdad, you know, Baghdad is Baghdad. You know, you've got to make sure that you blend in with the crowd, especially, you know, there's always um, things going on um, in, in the history like timetable that they're in. Um, same thing with witches, you know, witches are always, oh, burn them at the stake, you know, kill them all. So they're going to make it very interesting in a story dynamic. And, and I'm sure that we're going to fall in love with a character and freaking lose them. Cause you know, <laughs> Assassin's Creed. <laughs> I also have heard that the Valhalla storyline, the origins through Valhalla storyline featuring, uh, featuring uh, what's her face, whatever the fuck the name, the name of the, the, the 
modern day protagonist as Layla is Layla. is coming to a close. Uh, we are also getting a mobile game that is supposed to be open world, uh, code named Jade, which is going to be set in China, I believe. And we are also getting uh, a Netflix part part partnership some kind of live action series happening there uh assassin's creed has attempted live action before we'll see how it goes this time i kind of liked the movie i thought it was interesting i don't have any issues with it and i still kind of like the assassin's creed franchise as a whole despite the the lows i like the direction that they're going i like the whole announcing what we're doing over the next you know few years thing kind of very similar to what marvel studios has been doing and it also looks like they're actually catering to their fans a little bit i mean First of all, finally getting a feudal Japan game. Second of all, yeah. uh, uh, creating you know kind of appealing to both sides of the fans. Fans of the original series who felt that the Assassin's, Assassin's Creed has lost its touch since going open world RPG, and the people who like the new open world RPG games, including games of both types. I think that's yeah. the best way to appeal all of your audience. Mm-hmm. And and also like I know that people are kind of like upset about the whole Netflix thing because we have had kind of like a it for me it wasn't a miss. I did like the movie, but look at The Witcher. Right. Henry Cavill is in love with The Witcher. If you find somebody who's as passionate of a fan with Assassin's Creed to be able to be the lead of that show, it's going to go phenomenally. I mean, The Witcher is going into season three and people who haven't even freaking played the games and read the books are picking it up and it's a windstorm. I think it's going to be very, very successful for Assassin's Creed to do this because there's just a formula that's been started with Netflix. And I'm hoping that we don't get the Netflix, you know, disease where they cancel it after two to three seasons, because that is one thing that's unfortunate. Stranger Things is even falling to it with season five being the last season. Um, But I am excited to see how they're going to adapt the games into a full series. Like, are we going to go through a timeline kind of thing similar to what we had in the movie are we going to do specific styles are we going to get like an SEO story like how are we going to do this um you know are, are we going to go back to our roots or go forward is there going to be something that ties in with a the game there's a lot of ways that Netflix can go about it and they have a lot of a lot of good tools in their belt right now um so I, I'm not mad about it I think that it's a very good play for Assassin's Creed to be able to do this and sell some licensing and and get some more publicity because I mean if you think about it I mean just like I, I know I keep using The Witcher as an example, but just The Witcher alone, like it was it's one of the most watched series on Netflix. It's one of the most anticipated series on Netflix. You couldn't ask for any more than that. Yeah. Well, that I think that about wraps up what uh what we wanted to bring up in news. But let's go ahead and let's talk about Final Fantasy VII because we actually have a lot to talk about this game. And in this part, we are covering the entirety of the original game, a game mm-hmm. that probably could have been a two-part episode of its own, but we are oh, reserving yeah. part two for the remake. Bo, mm-hmm. go ahead and start us off. Why do you love Final Fantasy VII? I mainly love it, well, obviously the nostalgia. I mean, I played mm-hmm. this game when I was like 13, 14 years old. That's when it came out. But also what I love about it is just how it moved gaming forward in such a substantial way. I mean, this was the first truly cinematic experience that we had in gaming. And you look at how gaming is now, it's, it's like pretty much baked into the gameplay and into the way that stories are told in gaming. Mm. I mean, we've been watching like videos about uh, actual literary analysis of Final Fantasy VII, and it's like, it's just so incredibly dense story-wise, you know? I mean, 
it, it plays on so many different themes that honestly we're probably not going to be able to get to all of it in the span of what like an hour and a half or whatever we're, we're just not going to <laughs> yeah i mean but but this game it also really showed how you could actually personally interact with a game as well you know, I mean, these were characters that kind of became real to us a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. they, I mean, the world felt very real. It felt like there were lives that were being lived in every town. Like, going around, the most interesting thing was going around and talking to people. In, yeah. And, you know, in different towns and everything. Yes. And getting a feel for the culture of every town. Because every, every town, every region in this world has its own kind of culture, its own historical place in the world. And I mean, and also just into the backstory of like, you know, the Cetra and everything and just how basically how the planet and the live stream works, right. you know, like they have an actual basic understanding of how it works in a physical and in a scientific way. And it, it's yeah. something that's supposed to be metaphysical, but it actually has a tangible physical form and everything, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, there, there's so many different facets of this game that, you know, really pique my interest. I mean, I'm still playing it to this day. I'm 40 years old. <laughs> I originally played this game when I was 13 or 14, and it's still so much fun, and it's still such an engaging story. And yeah. to, to see it being remade and to have the story kind of expounded upon and expanded and mm -hmm. whatnot, I mean, it's great to see that happening. It's like that, that almost made me interested in uh, new school gaming again. You know, I mean, yeah. if you know anything about me, I'm more of a retro gaming kind of person. Like, to to me, gaming ends at the PS3, for most Aww. in most ways. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it's great to see that this story and these characters are now being passed on to a new generation of gamers. You know, I mean, I'm I'm very happy to see that. You know. Yeah, it's it's so important, especially as as the people who grew up playing these games become parents, you know, and, and, and I know there's, there's a lot of people out there, um, that are, um, you know, in, in, in the millennial age that are, that are having kids and, you know, they like, they, they just, oh yeah, it was this game. And it's very hard to explain a video game, especially to a child. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not easy to do. It's, it's a lot easier to, to be able to like pull a story forward and remake a game instead of explaining it, you know, as a parent, because a lot of, a lot of people who play this game, you know, are now becoming parents. And it's like, I want to be able to experience this with my child. I want to be able to explain this to, to my children. And, you know, especially as, as an avid gamer myself, and I still play to this day, I, I definitely want to be able to, to share these types of stories. And, and I, I, I am so incredibly um, inspired at, at points by, by these developers, by being able to create a full capacity world and a culture and languages and, and things like that, 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 you know, you normally only see in like movies and TV shows, like for example, like Stargate um, is a very good one. You know, they create an entire, you know, planet and then, you know, they travel to another planet. It's a totally different type of culture, totally different type of people. And it really created a blueprint, blueprint of of bringing forth this style of gaming of let's immerse the gamer let's the bring bring the gamer into the story let's make them you know fully feel the form of escapism that really you know has has passed on to this day um for example my favorite game to talk about my favorite game series to talk about will never not be my favorite is horizon zero dawn you fall in love with the characters you fall in love with with the culture and and the the just absolute 
immersion of the game because it really brings you out of your own mind and, and makes you just, you know, fully relax and you can, you know, relate to these people. And I feel like a lot of people got that even in, in a game like this, you know, where there was a lot of different things going on, you know, one year after this game was the release of Ocarina of freaking time. So True. it's like yeah. the capacity that they were giving at 1997 coming forward now to 2022 is just incredible. And the fact that they're able to continue to build onto it. And I think that the developers of final fantasy are just so excellent at being able to create its own rich story per game, because like there's so much in number seven. And then you go to, for example, number 13. And for me, you know, I did, um, I, as everybody knows, I go to cons and I love, you know, conventions and things like that. The amount of Tifas and, and Eris and clouds and, and Sephiroth that I saw was so cool as a kid, because it's like, you still see it years later and you can see, you know, like for number 13, you got to see an entirely different world and it's entirely different culture and different, you know, antagonists and things going on. And you see lightning and you see all of those characters. But one thing that they always keep is the fucking chocobos. And I love that shit. Just saying. <laughs> oh yeah. I stand chocobos myself, man. Uh, chocobo breeding, by the way, great little gaming play mechanic in this game. We'll probably yeah. get to that later. <laughs> uh, that, that's something that I thought added a lot of character to the game itself. Yeah. So for me, and I'm glad that you brought up Ocarina of Time because these are both examples of games that have become so ingrained in our culture, uh, especially due to their advent prior to the internet. You know, and a notable example being the numerous fan theories about being able to resurrect Aerith. Or uh, being mm -hmm. able to get the Triforce in Ocarina of Time. These are predominant discussions that still happen today. I mean, everybody knows yeah. it's all bullshit, but it's something that's still talked about and something that everyone can relate to. And Final Fantasy VII is monumental in the way that it took JRPGs, a, a genre of games that were not nearly as popular in the West beforehand. Yeah. It actually piqued interest in them. You know, like Ocarina of Time, this was the game in the series to bring the the franchise into 3D, to bring it onto the new generation of 32-bit, 64-bit hardware. And I think that that made a huge difference. And, and it's why we actually started getting interest in some previous JRPG, like the previous Final Fantasy games or Chrono Trigger. Final Fantasy VII is responsible for that. You know, prior to that, yeah. half of the Final Fantasy games hadn't even been localized. Final, Final, Final Fantasy III was actually what? It was actually Final Fantasy VI. Final I Fantasy mean, that, VI? That, that's how screwed up it was. Like, they, they didn't even release any of these games in chronological order here in America because this style of game just, it was just virtually unknown. Right. Now, yeah. now me and my friends, we kind of knew about it a little bit, you know? I mean, I, we played Chrono Trigger before. We played all that stuff, but... I mean, this was where the formula was really refined into something that was accessible to everybody, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it was a great, um, a great blending of gaming cultures as well, because like for a long time, it was like American gaming systems and Japanese and Chinese gaming systems were so different. And this was the perfect just blending of all of that. And now it's like this big, beautiful, immersive culture that we talk about today. And it's like anybody can relate to a gamer and, and all gamers relate to each other. And it was because of games like Ocarina of Time and Final Fantasy VII that we have this big, amazing culture and this great community of people who just all get together and talk about video games and, you know, talk about what they want to do, what they're playing, how yeah. things are going, you know, all of that. And it's just, it's all been brought together by this and Ocarina of Time. And it's so crazy. And it's just so wild to think about. Yeah. And those, both of those games are unique in that they kind of, 
they're they're kind of uh, their own standalone communal experiences in the world of gaming. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like you said, there. Like I said, there were these urban legends surrounding the games. There's an entire yeah. community. You know, and and, and 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 that was before Grand Theft Auto Three came out and kind of took over the whole urban legend gaming. Oh my uh, god! Field, you know, Grand I mean, Theft Auto. <laughs> for me, I had never actually played a Final Fantasy game. I have 13 2 on the Xbox 360. I'd played just a little bit of it a long ass time ago. Remembered running into Mail Flanagan, Narta's voice actor, and actually being kind of surprised. Uh, Yuri Lewenthal, Sasuke's voice actor, slash. Uh, uh, Spider-Man is in the remake, by the way. But I had never really interacted with the Final Fantasy series. I knew of it, but I just had never, I'd never really gotten into the series. I'd played any of the games. This was my first foray into it. And let me tell you, I'm supremely impressed. I understand why this is the most critically acclaimed title of the series. And may I tell you, from my point of view, this is an excellent way to get into the franchise. Yes, especially the remake. Right. Well, what Final Fantasy VII does differently you know, and, and differently from every other Final Fantasy game is its inclusion of the materia system. I think that is, is one part of it. The other part of it is just in a very, very impressive storytelling style, you know, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit here that, you know, kind of that mixes, you know, just a really intricate plot with some subtle storytelling. But, you know, in regards to the materia system, I, I think what makes that great is that it took predefined character classes and archetypes and, and, and turned it over on its head and decided you can build your characters however you want. And these characters, your party members, are, are going to be geared towards certain types of, of, of attacks. You know, some are more geared more towards physical stats, some are geared more towards magical stats, you know, and, and will have differing amounts of HP and MP. But other than that, you can make your characters do whatever you want to do. You can have, you know, uh, a Barrett be a tank and also cast some spells. You can have Cloud be a, both a bodyguard and a badass mage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, going to the materia system, it's just the depth that it adds to the gameplay is and the customizable aspect of it is what was so revolutionary at that time. Because I mean, but before then, it was a tradition. They use a traditional uh, job or class-based uh, system. You know, right. you you uh, took up a certain job and with your experience points, you leveled them up. You got different types of cure, kiraga, and all that stuff. And, and that was what you were. And if you wanted uh, other abilities, you had to change job classes. Here, that is completely shattered. I mean, you can pretty much take, uh, like, white mage magic, black mage magic, and also materia that might, you know, be better left for, like, a thief or a, uh, or a monk or something like that. And you can just combine it, you know? It's, it's almost like, you know, pick and play uh, stats and whatnot. You mix you know? and match. It's I mix love and match, it. yeah. And, and what's really great is, you know, I would spend just countless hours of time playing through this game, setting up my materia, and, and constantly rebuilding my characters and, and designing them for different situations. And yeah, that's, that's the best part of it, is that, you know, you can pretty much set your materia and everything according to, uh, to what part of the game you're at and what you know, boss you're battling and everything. What weaknesses yeah. that they might have or, you know, whatnot. Yeah. And, and that even translates now into Horizon. Like, just when y'all talking about that, like, you think about, like, the areas that you're going to and, and the creatures that you're going to fight. Like, the, the it all starts here. Like, it all, it, it's crazy to think about how you can, like, just, you can open up so much from, from such a 
an interesting game too, because it's not just like, oh, well, I can do magic or I can do this. It's like, if I want to be a full on, just straight up, you know, soldier, I can be a soldier. If I want to be a mage, I'm going to be a mage. And you can just like it, it, even though you're, you're with the same character, the same character can be translated to so many different types of people and so many different types of gameplay in just one game, which is incredible because you don't really, you never really saw that before. It was just like, oh, hey, look, I got a gun. Hey, look, I can carry this gun. Look at this. That's cool. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII is also notable for introducing a more futuristic setting to the franchise. Yes. What's interesting to me is that it's almost like this weird inversion of steampunk where yeah. you know you you don't have the uh gothic victorian aspect to it. It's more like it's more like the ultimate uh, combination of uh cyberpunk and steampunk in a way. Yeah. Yes. And so you've got you've got party members carrying swords and guns in the same battle and then that's or or just fists you know you've got martial arts and 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 just everything combined you know anything that you could think of is in this game and it's just fantastic i love the inclusion of of materia which is actually uh the crystallized mako which is actually you know from the live stream of the planet there's a whole lore system that's established throughout the game and and again we'll, we'll get into the story here in a little bit but it is just so cool how all of these aspects of the story are integrated into gameplay, and it's done so well in that three-dimensional environment. I mean, with, with the way that they were able to take 3D characters and put them onto, onto pre-rendered backgrounds, not dissimilar to some of the early Resident Evil games. In fact, it was actually yes. lifted from the first Resident Evil. That's what inspired mm-hmm. it. It actually mm-hmm. allows for a form of storytelling that just... Again, it is actually what led to an interest uh, in Western audiences in the genre and the style of gameplay. Yeah. Which, thank God for that, because that's all I play now. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just was blown away by how complex Final Fantasy VII is, both in terms of gameplay and in terms of story. There is just so much. My only real complaint with the game is that it's been really easy for me, because... Uh, most of the bosses in the game can be beat by just spamming your most powerful attack. Yeah, but... well, 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 fight Ruby Weapon and then get back to me. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, quick confession, this game is so long, I haven't actually completely finished it yet. I got to the Northern Crater, I pretty much did everything I wanted to do there, and I'm, I got to the point of no return. Uh, I'm consulting a guide, but not following it step for step, you know, because I kind of want to explore the game on my own, but I, I think it's worth it to check out a guide if you're playing this game for the first time, because there's going to be a lot of permanently missable items, uh, uh, and it's also going to tell you, you know, what materia are going to be best for what areas or boss fights that you're about to experience. Because a lot of times the game will just throw you into a fight and, you know, you don't even know. Maybe this boss is weak against lightning. Well, shit, I wish I had equipped lightning materia. Let me go reload yeah. my save file. <laughs> yeah. Do that. Yeah. And something that I wanted to before we leave the subject is so. Bo, I'm 24 and you're 40, and I've experienced this game in my childhood, but we've had it so differently because this game was a little bit older. This game came out a year before I was born. Oh, okay. And I played it later, but it was still it, – it, it's just this thing with these games that are older, and it still holds up to this day, I feel like. But it's one of those things where it, it, it almost escapes, like, the the time that it, it passes, right? So even though this game was released in 1997 – It's still a beautiful game in 2022 when we can see the pores on players' faces in other games, which is something that I'm just so enthralled by because it's it's an interesting thing to like think about 
And the fact that we both played this in our childhoods and, you know, you were, you were already a full grown adult by the time I was, you know, born yeah. and, and like played this game as a child and you still wanted to play this game and still had experiences with this game later on. And I was just now picking up the game for the first time is wild. And I can tell you right now, like playing this game now in my 40s, it hits completely differently. Cause, it does. You know, and especially in the current culture of gaming right now, where everybody was just like, oh, gaming shouldn't be so political. It's like, motherfuckers, go back and play Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. What, what are you talking about? Years ago, by the way, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII is celebrating its 25th anniversary this, this month. That's why we're doing it. Yeah. And that's why I finally yeah. caved into Bo begging me to do this game for the past couple seasons. Yeah, definitely, because <laughs> I've really wanted to talk about it. I've been begging about Final Fantasy for a couple seasons now as well, because it is one of my favorite franchises. And actually, talking about the culture and everything, I have wanted to cosplay Aerith and Tifa for so long. <laughs> so long. And I feel like anybody who's been to a convention knows exactly what I'm talking about, because they're so easy. You literally just get a little red dress and you're Very Aerith. easy, Done. yes. And it, and it's so it's so fun to be able to tap into that nostalgia as as a cosplayer because it's like that's not something that you get to do a lot you know like there's there's so many big beautiful cosplays now you know people are going out and making Mandalorian cosplays and that's that's cool that's fine but like bring back the nostalgia too you know yeah. like like as much as I like Boba Tfet I want to see some Eris I want to see some Tifas and I can't wait to see the resurgence of that in the cons that we're hoping to go to this year, you know, hopefully there's not another outbreak of COVID and stuff. That's why I say hopefully. Um, but to see more Eris and Tifas like I did in my childhood, like I just can't, I cannot wait for that. I'm so excited. I just and like I probably big titty anime myself. girls. <laughs> yeah. This motherfucker. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, we talk about it all the time. It's fine. We love, we love big titty anime girls. Big titty Tifa, anime girls. Okay. Tifa is yeah. the ultimate big titty anime girl that is your your best friend from childhood that mommy uh, i'm also, sorry mommy mommy <laughs> <laughs> also uh she and cloud totally banged under the high wind don't at me i'm i'm not so sure that that's a controversial opinion in, well, in the world of gaming the Aerith stands the Aerith stands seem to think that that you know I, I guess they just want cloud to suffer and even though Aerith died he should never be happy again or be in love with anybody else because I like the I like the dynamic between Cloud and Aerith too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm a sucker for that childhood friend thing. I gotta say, and yeah, Tifa, yeah. Honestly, I don't think that they were ever going to let Aerith and Cloud hook up, even if she did survive. I think that uh, Tifa was always kind of the uh, main, the, canon for the her. main yeah. canon uh, love interest for him. I kind of want to say so. I mean, especially because Aerith dies, but. You know, it, it definitely seems that they're heading that way. But what I like about the game is that they do leave that ambiguous. Even in the work that comes afterwards, like Advent Children, they're not they're not clear on whether Cloud and Tifa end up as a no. couple or not. They want to and allow people to kind of make decisions. The fact that you get to pick whoever, you know, uh, you get to go on a date with in the Golden Saucer scene yeah. based on hey. the hidden affection system. Hey, did, did you ever get, you never got Barrett, did you? I want to get Barrett, I, I've done. I've done it. I That's got, I got Barrett. I, I got I got Barrett on the date once. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fucking hilarious. Fuck yeah. Also, you can get Yuffie and she gives you a kiss. Aww. Oh, I love Yuffie. She's so pretty. Uh, mommy, I'm sorry, mommy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I oh man, especially because like the, both like all three of them because there's definitely like a love triangle thing for a minute there. Um, all three of them have such like like Aerith has a less of a harsh exterior, but. Tifa and Cloud just have the most hard exteriors, except for towards each other. They're Cloud, very soft. 
definitely yeah. acts different around Tifa. I mean, around Barrett and Avalanche, you know, he's just kind of detached. He doesn't want really anything to do with them. He's aloof. Around Aerith, he kind of tries to act a little bit too cool and impressor. He's kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But around Tifa, he's his natural self. Yes. And, I, and I think that that's really beautiful. I think that there's something special about the fact that she's the one that pulls him out of his funk later and, and kind of resolves his identity crisis for him. I think there's something very special going on there. And I was inclined to choose Tifa. Tifa was the one in my very first playthrough on uh, Bo's yeah. PlayStation Classic. Yeah. I wanted to go after Tifa. Now, when I started playing the game again on the Switch, which is a great port, by the way, I, yes. I, I kind of wanted to try things out differently, so I went with Aerith, and that's the one that I actually went all the way through. But I'm happy to report that even though I got Aerith in the Golden Saucer date scene, I did get the more romantically inclined scene with Tifa later on the high wind, and I'm really glad that that happened. I, I just kept Tifa in my party as much as possible, and I was nice to her as long as it didn't take away from my affection points with Aerith. Yeah, well, here's the thing about Aerith and Cloud, though. Aerith is the type of character who she could cut through people's bullshit very easily. And yes. that's that's really why she's a perfect foil to Cloud, because she, she sees through his bullshit. There's she, a good argument through, for both. She sees through that, you know? So like, so, like, Aerith sees through the bullshit, but Tifa is the type to, like, slap him back of the head, like, Gibbs style, like, NCIS style, and be like, get your fucking shit together. Like, yeah. shut the fuck up. Think about it for two seconds and like really look at this. And he's like, damn, but you right. Like, <laughs> and and Eris is like, yeah, no, like I know you're fucking lying to me. But anyways, let's uh, go on and talk about something that I'm interested in. Like she's a little bit self-centered, in my opinion, in a lot of the in a lot of the scenes. And I feel like Tifa's more giving and more more love. Like she's a very harsh woman. Don't get me wrong. Like she could like literally glare at you and cut you like just with a glare. But yeah. she's has a very like soft giving persona and she she gives that in a way of being like, "Hey, don't fuck this up. Like shut up. Think about it and don't be stupid." <laughs> well, also co conversely, I would say that if if I had to really choose, I, I would think that Aerith is probably a little more approachable just as a yeah. person than Tifa yeah. is. You Tifa's know? a stone cold hard bitch. <laughs> I oh, love she that, is. Though. I well, love that. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, Aerith is cool, man. She's cool. She's Aerith, a cool chick. She, they're both she's great. She's a hippie child. And and by the way, regardless of what you think, the developers one hundred percent intended for there to be romantic subplots with either one. The subtext is there either way. You cannot use the game as canonical evidence that Cloud doesn't like this person because. It was 100% intended that he could, he could go either way with it. And I'm tired of people fighting on fucking Facebook groups about it. Like, no, this is this because the game says, no, the game does not say that. The game <laughs> lets you kind of pick. But I, I, I do think in the end they're kind of subtly suggesting Cloud and Tifa. That's that's my personal yeah. opinion. Me too. Definitely. Yeah. But and and that also extends to the remake, which we'll talk about. Since we're talking about cloud and relationships with other people, there's one that's actually you know displayed uh, a little bit more prominently in the game, and that's the one with Sephiroth, who by the way is still yes. one of the greatest video game characters of all time. Now I understand the hype and and why you know he ended up making it into Smash, and I'm glad he did. Yeah. Oh my God, I yeah, love definitely. him. I love him. <laughs> I like I I know that you know he's like he he's very much. If I can relate him to somebody in like modern text or like in in a modern concept, he's very much like a Bucky to me. Okay. And like, I know that sounds he really doesn't strange. Go good. Yes. <laughs> so like for a very long time, he's morally gray, and he look really has like this hard time 
finding a way to like not make a decision that's overtly right or overtly wrong and he just does what's best and then he kind of gets trapped into his own head and then becomes the full antagonist and the full Sephiroth but that we know but going back and like learning more about Sephiroth and one of the reasons why I love him so much is because he really does try to do his best to do the best for a long time he goes about it wrong and then he just goes about it completely wrong but he does want to do the best that he can for a while there and then it just ends up getting totally fucking corrupted because of the voices in his head, essentially. It's and insane when he discovers his origin, and he just mm-hmm. he just burns Nibelheim to the ground for apparently no fucking reason. I don't know. He's insane. <laughs> he goes full Thanos at the end, if I can compare it to modern like he, he concepts. He becomes but... a god. He try or, or he tries to. You know, yeah. in typical JRPG fashion. You you have to kill God at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a that's yeah. a constant theme with these types of games. Yeah, definitely. Hundred what, percent. What's Always. interesting is the dynamic between Cloud and Sephiroth, though, because Sephiroth is the hero that Cloud wants to be. Uh, from uh, ever since he was a child, he he yes. sees Sephiroth as this big brother. This, not not even that, his hero. You know, his Iron Man, yeah. his his guy that he wants to be, and. You know, the, the difference between Cloud and Sephiroth, even when Cloud enlists in Shinra, is just enormous. One of the best parts I love about the storytelling in this game, and the way that it's told, even within day-to-day, ga- you know, moment-to-moment gameplay, not even within cutscenes, is the, the moment in the flashback and cal- uh, uh, when you get to Calm. I love how the game actually, first of all, lets you play through the story instead of instead of just having it be a cutscene. You know, there's a lot of yes. show don't tell. But what's really cool is there's this moment where you know you have Sephiroth as an AI controlled character in your party, and he is just vastly overpowered. Cloud mm-hmm. can barely to put a dent in monsters. Is probably gonna die within battle and have Sephiroth have to revive him. But Sephiroth just takes away at these enemies and then later on back in the present even after all of this time once you leave Midgar there's this enemy the Midgar Zala this fucking serpent that comes after you that is just near unbeatable at that point in the game it will take your party completely out and you you need to get on a chocobo to try to evade it that's that's the best way to move it but Sephiroth fucking impaled one on a tree yep like it's nothing just shows the difference between Cloud and Sephiroth is just enormous and and it, and it just kind of further leads to cloud's identity crisis that is central to the, the plot of the game yes yeah it's like all the disassociative uh, states that he gets into throughout the game like it, it's kind of a little more pronounced in uh, the remake yeah but here in this uh, in this game i mean whenever he freaks out you're just like whoa like what, what's going on dude yeah. What did you? What, what did you? Where are you actually from? Who actually are you? You know. Yeah. And, and of course, I mean, especially yes. with identity playing such a huge role in this game, that's one of the major themes yes. of this game. I mean, he's essentially just a blank slate in the end. That's really what Cloud is. is. Yeah, it's like, who are you after all of this? Who who really is Cloud? And and I I'm so intrigued by that because it really is. And and I know this is going to sound very strange, but it reminds me very much of like soldiers who are reinitiating back into society and re, re like getting back into society after being at war for so long. Um, and you know, being being the spouse of a veteran, I've um, uh, you know, like Alan, you know, has been out for a long time, but he's told me about how like different your brain thinks, and you know, you are an essentially like changed person when you join the military, and that's the same thing with with this. And 
you know, it's like, who are you after the guns? Who are you after the fights? Who are you after all of these things? And and it's very, very interesting to see how they bring that forth, especially in a JRPG game, because, you know, it's, a, you know, they, they do have, you know, armies in Japan, but it, it's it's not the same. Like the American army is very different. Um, and, and I love that, you know, that's something that I can compare that to. And that's something that like, if I'm talking with somebody about like, you know, like identity and things like that, like, who are you? Like, I do bring up like the the points in this game where it's like, who do you become? How do you change as a person? How do you build yourself back up after going through something so intense? Because like he's been, you know, trying to be this perfect image of the perfect soldier and just trying to be so much like Sephiroth that he ends up breaking himself apart and he loses his own identity. He doesn't know who he is anymore. And it's it's the most interesting thing that I can get out of storytelling for a game because it's not like I know who I am. I'm this person. He's like, who the fuck am I? What am I? Yeah, I don't even know. Interesting too, because uh, right now in the, in the in, on the TV we actually have a, the scene uh, right before what you're actually looking at right now. But yeah. um, there's a part of the game, and this kind of ties into the way that the game you know it, it, uh, interweaves gameplay into the story. But there's a part where Sephiroth is basically using the the uh, the, the Genova cells in in Cloud's body to control him. And there's a point mm-hmm. where everything you do, no matter what is going to lead cloud to try to kill Aerith. And there's nothing you can do. Every, every button you press just leads to him closer to being able to do that. I love how the story is explored in that way. And, and again, yes. it's another, it's another, you know, dynamic between cloud and Sephiroth. Sephiroth owns him. <laughs> he does. He tries so hard to be him. And then he ends up being owned by him. And it's like, it's almost like this, like hero child, kind of setting to like this like slave slave owner setting where he's like I am enslaved by the thought of Sephiroth and the being of Sephiroth which is so weird but so interesting And it is definitely a slow burn. Uh, the remake features Sephiroth much more prominently early in the story, and and there is a whole different way that it, it goes about telling that story, you know, for better or for worse. But in this game, what I do like about it, what I like about the original and the way that they approached it here, is that Sephiroth is a name that pops up throughout the first, you know, part of the story, throughout the Midgar segment. 
mm-hmm. you don't actually ever see him until the flashback scene. And so you're just kind of building up to this figure. I mean, up until that point, Shinra was the major antagonistic force. And by the end, you're fighting against Shinra, you're fighting against Sephiroth, and you're somewhat even fighting against the planet itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah with, with all the weapons that uh, come out of the uh, woodwork because it's, the planet is trying to defend itself. The remake yeah. mm-hmm. makes blurs that line even more about whether or not you know, you're kind of on the side of the planet or not because ultimately they're trying to save the planet. But the planet also has its own ideas about how, how it wants to preserve its own existence. And, and we will talk about that in part two. Uh, another critical point in the story, of course, the one we have to talk about, the loss of Aerith. Uh, from both a yeah. gameplay oh, and a story perspective, regardless of who you shipped Cloud with. I mean, Aerith is an endearing character. Every member of the party misses her, continues to feel her presence throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the game. But what's really interesting, and the way that they tie that into the gameplay experience, is that out of all the, the characters in the game, Aerith is the one, the party member, that it most fits in archetype. She is dedic- She is your dedicated healer. She's built to be your dedicated healer, your white yes. mage. You know, and, and she has, you know, not as good physical stats, but she has the highest magic and spirit stats in the entire game. You know, you should keep her in the back and let her heal up the rest of your party. And what's crazy is when she leaves midway through the story, which is one of the biggest twists in video game history. Yes. That yes. hole is felt throughout the rest of the game. You don't, you never quite have a character that fills that role very well. Well, and that's not discounting the emotional toll it takes on the player when th- that moment happens. I mean, let me tell oh you, back God, in the yes. day, when, when that happened, that was devastating. Yeah, I cried I'm, like a baby back bitch. Oh, seriously. It was, it was a devastating moment. I mean, they built this girl up to be like just, just this really fun and awesome character who actually has a very big role in the stake of the planet. And then she's just kind of uncertain unceremoniously killed you know what makes me feel guilty is her mom tried to prevent all of this she didn't she mm-hmm. told cloud to go Definitely. and Aerith insisted on coming and it's kind of like you know how culpable is cloud and the rest of the party in that i wouldn't say that they're very culpable in i don't it think because so. in the end Aerith made her own choice to go with the she co- did that's the conclusion you come to but yeah. you ask yourself that question and i'm sure cloud does definitely yeah Sometimes I wish I could hear his thoughts because I want to know like what exactly he thinks about the entire situation because I know he probably but I'm 99% sure he feels entirely guilty about her death. Oh yeah. There's no denying that. And I'm sure that, you know, especially because like when you think about it, especially in Final Fantasy games, like she is one of the most um magically enhanced um, as, as far as like squad mates go, even going into like different, um, types of final fantasy games, but she's very, very powerful for a little tiny lady and for, for them to be able to create, you know, such a happy, positive spirit out of someone who is capable of definitely not being, you know, a good person. If she really, really wanted to be, she could go full on Wanda and kill some motherfuckers, but she's just this, this light, happy person. For them to be able to create that with such a big power is is incredible, and sh- and she's very much like a very strong woman archetype, especially for like a JRPG game. Um, and and she's she's just so enthralling as a character, and like the the and and I agree with both of y'all. The loss that you feel when you lose Aerith, like it's like it's like you know is if if you know like when you're a child, if you, if you lose like you know like an aunt or an uncle or you know a, a parent or grandparents like no one ever makes like a food the same way they do it's like you know like oh Mm -hmm. you know for me like i can never make a fried egg the way the same way my granny made it or egg in a hole the same way my granny made it i can try as much as i want to but i can't do it 
Wasn't it Tetsuya Nomura or one of the developers who Hironobu, actually... Hironobu Sakaguchi. Okay, yeah. it was Sakaguchi, yeah, actually. He, he, uh, the death of Eris was inspired by the death of his mother. His mother died yeah. while they were uh, making Final Fantasy III. Here in the States, it was Final Fantasy III. But, I mean, and he really wanted to kind of really convey Capture what that, that loss feels like. And he nailed it on the head, especially in a game that old and with that type of technology. And it's all based on the story elements, you know? God, this game gets so deep. And and, and before we, we forget to talk about it. <laughs> okay, this game opens up with you joining eco-terrorists. One of the main villain, villain factors, one of the main antagonistic forces in this game is a corporation that has control over the government where the mayor is little more than a figurehead it doesn't get more political than final fantasy 7 i'm sorry this game was 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 leftist as fuck this game was based as fuck based. back in the day and barrett is based as fuck oh man he's a, he's so so gung-ho fucking anarcho environmentalist it's it's fucking amazing to watch what a fucking chad maybe my favorite character he probably yeah. fucking he full-on like football tackles people for not using reusable grocery bags yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and and I kind of relate to him a little bit because he's got a yeah, daughter and same. that's his ultimate goal. I mean, Cloud actually brings up at one point towards the end of the story that you don't even necessarily need to want to altruistically save the world, have a personal motivation. He's just trying to settle the score and Barrett, Barrett just wants to keep his daughter safe. He wants a world for his daughter, his adoptive daughter, Marlene, I might add, who was the daughter of his best friend. Dine. Yeah. Dine. He just wants her to grow up and be happy. And I connect to that so much as a father. I get it. Mm -hmm. I have a little girl that's not, you know, that that's probably around the same age. Maybe a little, like, how old is Marlene supposed to be? I think she's supposed to be like five or six. Okay, maybe. so she's a little, yeah. okay, so Mar uh, Marlene's actually a little bit older. My, my kid's three, but I understand. When you have a kid mm -hmm. that little, it's it, you just you just want to protect them. And Barrett feels this immense sense of guilt for not being able to be there. But he's like, you know, I'm sorry, baby. I got to save the world. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Even like as, as a step parent and, you know, um, at, you know, I that kid didn't come out of me, but that's my baby. If I can do something to make sure that she's safe and she's going to be able to grow up and be a happy person, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to do everything that I can, whatever I need to do. If it means working extra hours, you know, working until my nails come off my fingertips, like I will do it because she deserves happiness and she needs that. And that's my personal goal. And I always make, you know, um, Alan and, and my stepdaughter, you know, the, the forefront of like what I do. So like to see him do that as the capacity of an adopted father um, really resonates to me personally because it's like I, that kid didn't come out of me, but that's my baby. Don't talk about my baby. I'm exactly. going to get the old one, two. <laughs> and I and I gotta say that at least in the remake they make their relationship even more wholesome. Yes, I was just like, oh, yay! <laughs> I've only done the intro, so like I'm very excited to see that because I, I I have been waiting for this remake for a very long time, and when I saw that they were doing the remake, I screeched like a banshee for probably a full 10 minutes and almost fainted because I screamed so much. Like I was uh -huh. very excited. And, and I, and I love that they are able to create a capacity like this of just showing like the full extents of like love and grief and like all these things that like we all go through as humans, like humans are very, very emotional, even if they don't want to admit it. If people want to say they're cold hard exterior, like internally, like they have a lot of boxes that are about to explode. And the fact that they're able to bring forth and like show you like a relationship like that is just, it's incredible to me. Yeah. And, and I will say for a game that already was pushing the technical limitations of its time, 
to, to be remade in a capacity, you know, and with today's technology is really exciting. What I love about Final Fantasy VII is that, you know, it, it really pushed the boundary for a story that you could tell. They were, and at, at the time, this was groundbreaking. Those FMV cutscenes that were that were pre-rendered, by today's standards, you know, they may not look as impressive, but hell, I think that they hold up. And also the way that they actually. Uh, integrated cutscenes into the gameplay itself. This was among the first games to really do that. Yeah. Nowadays, that's yeah. a very, very common thing. Very yeah, common. it's like it's like everyday kind of thing. We're like, oh, cutscene, cool. Yeah, and, th- and this is what this is what Final Fantasy VII kind of uh, innovated. Look what the battle system was able to do. JRPGs prior to this, you know relied a lot on imagination you never really saw what was going on in this game we actually were able to have uh these these battle scenes which are fully modeled in 3d so that you can really take advantage of all of those extra angles and you really Mm -hmm. get these full cinematic experiences whether you're casting a spell or or conjuring a very powerful summon oh yeah some of these animations are extremely long and it is just such a, a joy to witness that. Yeah, and, yeah. Can, can we talk about some of the summons? Yes, because there is some amazing summons yeah. here. Amazing yeah, the summons. summons like like going back and like playing it on a port and then like comparing it to like my experience as a gamer now. Um, especially like I've been talking, you know, especially in the in the break um, about like my experience as a gamer and like how I recommend things to other people and you know just the culture in itself and things like that because you know we do talk a lot about that on the podcast and we love to share our experiences and things like that on the podcast. Um, I think that it's so so crazy. And it just it, it bewilders me that there's like I can tie an experience from a game from '97 to, for example, 2011 and Skyrim. Like the way that you can like you know just push your hand out and summon you know an ice atronach um, from from Skyrim. It's based on fucking Final Fantasy VII, and you're like, oh my god, this really was the flower in my fucking bread. And Holy of course, shit. <laughs> you have your typical, you know, you have your returning summons, your familiar faces, your Ifrit, your Shiva, your Bahamut, but then you even have some new faces and some new variations. There are three versions of Bahamut, and they're all fucking cool as hell. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you ever get the uh, Chocobo uh, summon? Yeah, Chocobo. And, it's and so fun. It's so fun. Like, have you ever got the fat Chocobo? No. Yeah, yeah. No. Some, it, sometimes it'll uh, conjure up a fat Chocobo that'll just come down and uh, just land on your... Uh, on your enemies. Yeah, they actually like make that Starlet? into a separate summon in the remake. Yeah, yeah. In, in this one, I believe that there's a there's a random chance that that can happen that you can get a, a fat chocobo. What? Yeah. <laughs> I never knew that. I love that. Oh my god, it's like a Snorlax, but it's a fucking chocobo. Oh my god, yeah, I need I'll, to. I need to. Look, I'm look playing the remake right now. Yeah, or, or, or look, look it up on uh, on YouTube. They probably have footage of it. Speaking I'd of imagine. chocobos, there's a whole chocobo side quest. You know, not uh, just a whole Chocobo side quest, but an actual entirely different gameplay mechanic there. Right, where you can breed and race Chocobos. Oh, I just it, looked it up, and it is the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. I need a Squishmallow <laughs> of this immediately, Hell right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. But yeah, Chocobos are the are the best part of Final Fantasy, period. Yes, And then yes. just making this into pretty much its own game. You know, like with the breeding and the racing. I mean, that was innovative in its own right. There's a whole yeah. bike mini game that, that ties into the one part of, uh, where, where uh, 
Cloud rides the Hardy Daytona uh, after the Shinra building segment. There's a whole mini game hey. dedicated to that. There's a battle square. There is so much to fucking do in this game. There are an entire optional boss battles that you can fight on yeah. the overworld that will apparently test your limits. Now, I've beat Ultimate Weapon. I haven't faced Ruby or Emerald Weapon yet, and I am, am looking forward to the challenge because I haven't felt challenged yet. Speaking of chocobos, I love the tribute that they did to number seven in this, um, in, in number 13. And I don't know if either of y'all have played it, but this was one of the best tributes to me, in, in my personal opinion, is um, one of the players, and I cannot remember his name right now. He's he's the, the black guy. Um, he has a little chocobo chick. He's like, oh, yeah, I also saved this. There's a little chocobo chick that comes out of his fucking afro. Huh? Nice. It is the cutest thing, and it's like it's like reminiscent of like the chocobos like running all around you and stuff whenever you're breeding them and stuff. Yeah. So it's it's like a callback to like the chocobo breeding and like having like the chocobo chicks and stuff, which I thought was the cutest fucking thing ever. Like, thank you, Final Fantasy, for doing that for me because I fucking needed that shit. <laughs> Man, the breeding element in and of itself is interesting because of all the different variations of chocobos that you can actually create. Right. You know, and they all have different abilities. Like, I mean, a blue chocobo is mostly going to go over water there's going to be certain chocobos that can go over mountains and then you start getting into gold into black gold and even rainbow chocobos and then they can pretty much do anything rainbow yeah. chocobos the best don't at me oh yeah the rainbow chocobos the shit like totally my favorite yeah yep yeah, but the gold chocobo. I could so see somebody like taking the remake, and this is how you can tell I've been on too much fucking TikTok. Someone just like riding on a rainbow chocobo and be like, "I'm rolling with the LGBT." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're here for it. <laughs> it's, it's it's the pride chocobo. Pride chocobo. <laughs> yeah, no, I the chocobo side quest is one that I haven't extensively gotten into, but I did breed my first couple chocobos, and well, actually, I caught my first couple chocobos, and I'm, I'm gonna breed and get, you know, and, and kind of follow that that plot line. Man, there is just so much to do in this game, and, and there's a lot that's yeah. actually missable if you, if you miss it the first time. That's why I actually do recommend, you know, just at least consulting a guy to check and see. You know, I missed the first enemy skill materia that was in the Shinra building. The enemy skills are something that's overlooked, I think, by a lot of gamers. There are a lot of really useful skills. I completely overlook the enemy skill thing whenever I played Final Fantasy 7 I never really used it that well well you we're know? not even going to get into Pandora's box because that's the that's the one enemy skill material that you only get one chance to get in the entire game and yeah uh, before the final boss but uh, a lot of the enemy skills are actually really useful you just have to find the right one some of them are just kind of eh I'm not going to use that but there's one that will actually cast uh haste and and uh barriers and magic barriers on your entire party which is extremely useful uh there's a lot of different elemental attacks so even if you don't have elemental materia that are equipped to your character you'll be able to 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 exploit those and so let's say you're in that situation where you're against a boss and you don't have the right materia equipped well now you have your enemy skill materia to fall back on uh once with the loss of Aerith and her fantastic limit breaks uh there are some enemy skill materia that can that can circumvent that and allow you to heal and cure status effects of your party all at the same time so yeah I would give it a shot that's another one that you know kind of is gonna be more helpful with a guide that way you don't you don't miss out on some of the better enemy skill materials in the game some of them you actually have to manipulate enemies into casting those. Uh, on you, they won't na naturally yeah. use those 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 abilities in battle. But if you if you use the manipulate materia, another materia that probably is overlooked and not you know used nearly as much. Also the morph materia, you can morph uh, Master Tonberries into fuck those enemies. By the way, you can morph those into ribbons. I hate those things. Fuck those things. I hate those goddamn Tonberries. They're they're. It does remind me of the uh, Tom Berry summon in uh, Final Fantasy VIII, though. That's actually a really 
useful summon in that game. But here, it's like, no, Tom Berries are assholes. <laughs> Straight assholes. Oh, fuck those guys. And that's like, I, I think I even had the right materia set up. You know, I, I would have the uh, either Destruct or Odin with an added effect materia to prevent instant death, and they still got me. Come on. Oh, yeah. What the hell? They're just <laughs> like, mm. You walk in on my territory, get fucked! They're like, oh, okay, okay. I'll they just come just, at you with like that cute little face and that knife, and they're just like, can you just imagine one just walking towards you? And it's yeah, that's like, just what it is. It's just one little knife. No, just goes, I would run then... for my fucking life. I, nope. Mm-mm. That that's like that's like the whole La Llorona thing, right? Like like I still eat ice cream for breakfast sometimes. You show me that fucking movie, I know that bitch is gonna come for me. Like the same thing with these little fuckers. If I ever saw one, I'd be like, nope. Opposite direction. No, no, no. Not today, Satan. Not fucking today. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Moment to moment, there is just... Uh, Final Fantasy VII just has an, an extreme amount of depth. The battles are fun. Random battles, may, random encounters may not be everyone's forte, but I, for one, actually loved grinding up my characters. Bo is a is a... Bo is a grinder. I'm a hardcore grinder on Final Fantasy VII. Like, I... On my uh, current file on uh, the PlayStation Classic, I'm all, I'm not even uh, to Golden Saucer. I'm almost at level sixty. So it's like, I've just been oh, like, bro, like I don't hard. understand why you haven't been playing modern games then, because there's some shit you can grind on, like oh, Horizon, yeah. for example, Skyrim, um, Mass Effect. Surprisingly, holy shit. Well, there's something special about games like Final Fantasy 7. And I yeah. think Final Fantasy 7 is a great example because it uses the active time battle system. And the ATP system is, you know, a lot of people describe this game as turn-based. It's actually pseudo-turn-based. Some of it happens, you know, a little. it's pseudo-turn-based, pseudo-real-time. It is going to be, you know, menu-based, but it's something that you can actually grind while you're watching YouTube or while you're watching, you know. It's very easy to do that. I Listening mean, to a podcast. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I'm, and, and, I mean, you could just sit there and once you get your groove on, and you get your... Uh, your uh, the, the gist of everything. I mean, it's it's so so seamless to to grind like that, you know. And and even uh, some of the more like modern ports of this game have like a fast forward function that's going to be immensely helpful if if you just want to kind of grind it out and, and spend some time. Uh, if you want to grind out your lemon breaks, there's even a way to refill those those gauges and and your your health and your MP. And and my rule of thumb is is it's okay to use cheats if if it's gonna. If if the gameplay is hampering your ability to have fun, go ahead oh, yeah. and use what's what's been accessible to you. For instance, I don't like the fact that I can like instantly heal my health and MP if I if I wanted to. I'd rather just die it out. But like if I'm just trying to grind out those limit breaks, hell yeah, I'm not gonna spend time waste waiting. <laughs> Look, games of that time made it too fucking easy. Like if you press the Z button three times and Harvest Moon and Wonderful Life, you got 99 of every fucking item. They shouldn't have done that shit, but they did. Okay, like if you if if you're gonna be that stupid about it, I'm gonna fucking use it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can see that. Yeah, but I I think that at least the fast forward function and and it, and if you're just trying to like you know get all the limit, for instance, you want to get all of Aerith's limits before she's out of the party, you know. Definitely, I understand that. But hell, even if you're playing the original version of this game, like you said, you know, you can kind of just grind it out and and chill out and do do something, you know, multitask. Oh yeah, and that's kind of what what I think is special. I think that's quite why you jive with it. Yeah, and, and then there's the fact that, you know, based on what region you're at, you're going to encounter different enemies with different levels of experience, and they give larger payouts of AP and uh, XP and everything. I mean, like, for instance, like, 
the classic uh, grinding exploit in this game is uh, running around outside of Medeal and fighting those. Like, yeah. you can grind, you can gain levels really quickly. At least up until you get the Sunken Galnica or the Northern Cave. Yeah, Medeal is a yeah. great spot for farming. I XP. do that shit to this day with games. Like in Horizon Zero Dawn, I will literally just run around on the fucking um, the Nora Blessed Land and get to like level 15 before I fight that first fucking Sawtooth. Like, get fucked. I'm level building. I don't care. <laughs> and it's because are, are of this to game. Be built. They're meant to be played that way. Yeah. And and it also helps with all the different types of materia that will actually affect your HP and your MP. I mean, I, I, I had one time on my original old G uh, PlayStation uh, file for Final Fantasy VII, I had all my characters up to 9,999 9, HP and 999 MP. Fuck yeah. Like, and also, like, max out all their stats. Like, I, I was very bored as a kid. I had a lot of time on my hands. So I, I was able to really pour a lot in, a lot of uh, different, uh, you know, the different items that affect, uh, that raise your stats and everything. I was able to, I, I, I had enough money that I could just go in there, buy 99 of them, and then just just give them all to one character. Oh, yeah, no, you master just one uh, all materia, and you're actually set for a normal game playthrough. No, no, master the HP plus and MP plus materials. Those will pay out, like... Th those will pay dividends later on in the game, you know, like but, especially dealing with the with the weapons. Like you want some heavy uh, XP for that. Well, want, I'm or just, HP. Yeah, well, I'm just talking about like Gil farming. Gil. Oh, farming Gil is yeah. That's Master a whole those all thing. materia, and they will sell. Uh, they'll net you enough Gil to pretty much just one or two will will, will last you the entire game, and you'll never have to worry about Gil ever again. So it, it's worth it to keep the materia equipped, you know. Uh, Equip those double or triple AP weapons while you're grinding, and that way you can sell those, and you'll never have to worry about it. And, and that's what's really nice. I also loved just you know happening upon new materia in the wild and getting to try out new abilities. Yeah, that's all. It's always fun when you come across a new materia that you didn't have to buy or whatever. It's like it's either given to you or you find it in a cave. You're hell, just like, ooh. I'd buy everything new in the shop just to try it. I'd try it and see what it was, you know, and be like, eh, okay, I'm never going to use an exit material. I'm not going to run away from battles. Fuck that. But I have it, you know? Yeah. And and I'm going to, and I think Me. that there's a, a bonus. I think that's how you get the master, uh, the, the master magic materials you have to actually master every magic, every, every green material. Yeah. So. Oh, I've, I've got, I've, I've done that before. You know, my, I my um, use the shit out of exit material because I'm a scared little baby back bitch. It's fine. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit, I'm gonna die. Never well, then mind. your chocobuckle uh, enemy skill will actually be really high level. That's yeah. True. Also, on, on the on the note of grinding characters up and 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 raising them up to their max stats, uh, Barrett and Vincent can actually overflow glitch with their ultimate weapons. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you can actually instant kill some enemies by just dealing that much damage that it turns into a negative value. That is and that that is a lot of people actually struggle to do that. With Vincent, you have to grind hundreds of thousands of kills to get there. But oh, you can yeah. do it. But with Barrett, just equip all of your all of your max, maxed out materia on his missing score weapon. Yeah. And uh yeah, apparently you can you can overflow. Oh, definitely. So th there are some game-breaking characters. Uh, I fucking love Barrett, though. He's he's just great. And he's I one of the best the party members. He honestly. is like he's like your tank, and he's just like, yeah, bro, I got you, man. Like, give me like 
25 seconds in a beer, I got this. Like, okay, you got it, buddy. <laughs> I like him in the remake, especially. Yes. When he's fighting, he's like, I... that's right, come get this. Yeah. <laughs> he also does the fanfare, and so at the end of some battles, he'll go, ba 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 Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the most sarcastic character, and I love that about him, because he's like the comedic relief, and I very much am that person. Like, I literally am the resident goofball, so I resonate with him a lot, and I know that I'm just always goofy all the time. I'm even in, in it. I can be serious, but I don't like to be because life is too serious. And he's just very much that type of person. So he's always been my favorite squad mate. Like every time. I don't give a fuck. Also, That's my bestie. Let's talk about the soundtrack too. Oh, uh, man. Megan, I know that this is going to be a topic. That, <laughs> I think this is one of the one of the best soundtracks of all time. I mean, Bo actually leaves the uh, the main theme on, and like that's kind of just become like part of coming over to his house is just hearing that Final Fantasy main theme. I'm pretty partial to the battle theme. I love it. Or or that yeah. or that boss battle theme. And when you first hear that, it's like, all oh, right, we're getting metal now. Fuck yeah! And, and from what yeah, I understand, no, they they sure. they redid the uh, that song, and it's an even thrashier song now. So mm-hmm. hell yeah! <laughs> what did you think about the soundtrack, yeah. Megan? I, so I did not use this much of the soundtrack just because like as a gamer, you know, I, like I've listened to a lot of other soundtracks and like, I'm going to cry about Commander Shepard a lot of the time while I'm studying, but it's fine. Um, so for me, it's just, ah, uh, like as a, as a very much, I'm a, like I'm graphics oriented and I'm audio oriented. Like I, when I'm focusing on my work, when I'm studying, you know, when I was in college, I'm thinking about going back again. Um, I listen to soundtracks of video games and this one is one that just isn't so like inspiring. Like the battle music, you put that shit on at 2 AM with two mm-hmm. fucking cups of coffee in your system. You're going to finish that essay in 30 minutes stat. <laughs> <laughs> and for a Definitely. PS1 game, the audio quality is superb. I mean, these tracks still hold up. I like the redone versions of these tracks, but in some ways the original tracks kind of have a charm to them. And, and you know, some of, some of the, some of the original tracks I even feel are superior. Well, what, what's great about it is, is that it works with, the limitations of the PlayStation uh, audio chip and everything. It's it's all generate. It's not it's not like samples that are, uh, you know, generated outside. It's it's generated from that chip. Right. You know, it's all internal. I'm actually glad that they ended up going with the PlayStation hardware. That, that is actually something that was one of the, the most controversial thing. Another way that Final Fantasy VII set itself apart was the fact that it was the very first game to be an exclusive for the PlayStation. Up until that point, Final Fantasy was a Nintendo exclusive, and Nintendo yeah. was pretty sour about it. But they were, yeah, the reality they were was about that shit. Was that the Nintendo 64 used cartridges, and those cartridges had limitations that held back the the ambition. You know, the ambition of this project. Needed mm-hmm. to be on on I think the the discs and I think that that's what allowed this game to be what it was and to have the cultural impact that it did. Makes me yeah. wonder. It makes me wonder if Final Fantasy VII had uh, released on uh, the N sixty four and they would have managed to get the uh, sixty four disc drive over here. You think that that may have actually helped that sell here in America? Maybe possibly. Maybe. I'm actually surprised because when this game began development, it was actually originally going to be on the Super Nintendo. This yeah. game went through yes. a lot of iterations. It, it first started out development in the and the, so there was talks about it in late '93, but the first development started in 1994 for this game. Um, but going back to the audio because I don't want to skip this because sure. it's something that I, yeah. I definitely want to talk about and it's something very important to me. Um, so I know that I talk about conventions a lot, but something that I I love so much about this game and its cultural impact is there is a whole 
Usually, most of the time, it depends on the convention that you're going to. But for example, the one that I've always gone to is San Japan. There is a whole three-hour time period set aside where they have an orchestra, like a, a, what is it called? Orchestra or a symphony remake or play, or they're the orchestra that actually created the soundtrack with the developer, come out and they play the soundtrack for you um and it's something that you buy tickets for almost like a concert they had one for final fantasy 7 and it it, like walking by it because i didn't get a ticket for it it like ever there was like 200 people standing outside of the symphony room listening to it and some people were in tears because this soundtrack is very beautiful especially um when they played the song um from the loss of Aerith. it's very much like a it's it's an impacting song, but it's such a like, I, and I want to use the word fairy type because it like, it sounds like there's almost like fairies twinkling, you know, like the way that they kind of use those high notes on that. And it like the amount of people that just sat there and listened to it and didn't know that this was from final fantasy seven, but experiencing that was incredible. And, and they still do a lot of these things, not so much for final fantasy seven, more for like, you know, the later games. Um, I do believe with the remake, there have been some orchestras and symphonies who have been talking about it. And I would love to see that as an adult and, and take my husband to see that. Um, even though he's never played Final Fantasy games, I think it's something that he, as a, as a gamer, would be interested in because soundtracks are, are a very, very important part of a video game, right? 100%. It's just like a movie. It's like it's like the the corn chasing song in Interstellar, right? That is one of the most beautiful and ethereal songs in soundtrack history, yeah. and it still resonates to some people this day. Like you get a feeling when you hear that song. Yeah. And I love that this soundtrack with its capacity and with the capacity of a 1997 game, mind you, like you're over here and over here hearing from fucking Zelda. And you're over here fucking sobbing your eyes out about fucking Aerith, you know, like it, it, it's, it has an impact. And I still, I, I don't listen to a, li- a lot these days because it makes me like stressy depressy because i'm like fuck Aerith. <laughs> <laughs> definitely but i will listen to some of the songs on the soundtrack when i'm working and just remember like the artistry that is brought forth in this soundtrack and i just absolutely love it well there's also the uh soundtrack in midgard like i mean there's some real classic uh, tracks from uh that particular region like dan 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 under the rotting pizza. Da-na-na-na. Yeah, that's yes. a fucking fantastic song. Yeah, yes. uh, the Turk theme that that actually is throughout the rest of the game, but it starts in Midgar. You know. Yeah, the, the the Turk's theme. It's like this, just very subtle with like just a hi hat. It's almost like and this. it sets the tone. It really did. It set the tone for like what they thought a a video game soundtrack could be. And and this game really does create kind of like a, a blueprint for how things have, have emerged over time. And it's like when you watch sequences of games, especially like as like I go into like analytics of thinking about like gaming and soundtracks and stuff like that. And this is something that I, I talk about with uh, one of my friends a lot in length. Um, I, I just get so brought back into the fact that like there's moments in this game where you're just sitting there chilling you're fucking you know farming chocobos and you know raising your chocobos and there's just this cute little soundtrack in the background and you wouldn't have a lot of that kind of stuff in today's games without like moments like that where you just have that little hi-hat and it's just something where you're like i'm having a good time like it's just one of those things and you don't get tired of the soundtrack either you know what yeah i really really love the chocobo theme it's just yeah just so uplifting yeah. But, but yeah, also, it, it kind of has that, you know, 
it evokes the imagery of a farm, kind of. It kind of almost sounds like a backwoods country kind of song in, in the context of this world a little bit. Yeah, every track in this game, I think, totally fits the situation. Uh, you were talking about the, the Aerith one, you know, when she dies. That one really hit me because I like how she dies and you're playing, like, the really sad, depressing music all across the boss battle that follows. You don't even get your badass, like, boss battle music. No, you mm. just continue to feel the somber. And, and so it's like, while you're fighting this boss, you're still grieving. Yeah. You still feel their grief, too. Yeah, that's something that, that you don't really see a lot in, in, in modern games, too. You know, they always bring it up in conversations, or you can talk with your NPCs, and it's like, oh, yeah, I miss them. Like, you know, like, it, oh, ooh, a good example, a great example. I don't know if either of you have ever played Gears of War. Not really. But the fight after Dom crashes his truck into the into the main part of the system and it blows up and Dom is dead. You can kind of hear a similar type of soundtrack in Gears of War. And it's oh, my God, you like for the rest of the game, it's like you feel that loss and that somber. And I don't get a lot of that in modern gaming. Um, but I, I, I love that they did that because it's like. You really like the, like you said, the developer really wanted to take this experience and show his his loss and his grief. And the fact that they were able to pull that off in a fucking soundtrack in a boss fight while still feeling like you're Billy Badass out here swinging your goddamn sword. I love that shit here for that shit. hundred mm. percent. Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'll actually I've been listening to the soundtrack a lot lately, uh, both the original and the remake, because they're both just phenomenal. I, I think that the uh, the. The audio is fantastic in this game. The graphics, um, well, you know, again, might seem a little bit dated by today's standards. The field models are kind of der derided for being a little bit blocky. Hey, but they I also evoke that that typical super deformed style that was prevalent in the Final Fantasy entries before and after this. Yeah, and I, the battle models are great. I, I will I will stand by the character models, uh, the, the blockiness and everything. I mean, it's a very unique look, but it's also kind of representative of the limitations of its time. I mean, this was oh. Square's first 3D game, you know? This was their first one. And you can buy this shit on fucking vinyl, guys. Yeah. Oh, really? It's on vinyl? Yes. Oh, damn. It's oh, man. It's hella expensive. It's $120, but fucking full send. I want to buy that shit right now. That's amazing. Hell yeah. From what I can understand, you can buy little figurines of the uh, in-game models of uh, the Final Fantasy VII characters, right. and they're totally blocky and everything. But it's, yes, you can. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very unique look for it for its time, and I think that they did the best that they could, you know, within the limitations of the hardware and also with their inexperience, you know. Hell, it's 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 just iconic. It's so iconic that there's a mod for the remake that that yeah. uh, demakes the characters into the original. I wish the they would have gone characters. with the battle models over the field models still, but even so. Uh, I think it's just it's just a sense of just uh, nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. That's really awesome. And the character designs. I mean, say say what you want about the graphics, but the artwork done by Nomura himself, those designs are just oh so they're, fucking good. They're timeless. timeless. They're time. These are timeless characters, man. Like even all the way down to Red Thirteen and uh, Kate Sheath and uh, Sid. Even you know, it's like it's like you you look at that and it's just like yeah, they fit within the world like perfectly. Yeah. By the way, what are you guys? What are you guys' favorite party members? Oh, I remember my OG party, like the one that I built up hardcore, was Cloud, Vincent, and Sid. Cloud, Vincent, and Sid. Yeah. Sid is a great character. I tend to keep going back to uh, Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett. 
Uh, yeah, those are my three: Cloud, Barrett, Tifa. I mean, after Aerith dies, when Aerith was when I had Aerith in my party, I constantly used her because I wanted the the healer position. Also, I wanted to make the most use yeah. out of her. Plus, I was trying for those affection points in that particular playthrough. But um, yeah, no, uh, Cloud and Barrett, god tier characters. They have great stats. Yes. Um, Sid and Yuffie, also great characters. Aerith, while you have her. I just love Cloud a lot, okay? Like, I just, I, like, no, it's like, for me, I, I, and I still do this to this day, like, once I find a dynamic that works, I don't fucking change it. And I probably should, because there's points that are essential to storylines, but I cannot fucking bring myself to do it. I'm like, mm, nope, this squad gets me the most damage, and I got this during this boss fight. That's what I'm gonna fucking do, and I'm gonna stick with it. Well, and you can make those characters. You know, some people have brought up that it, it kind of, personal rankings of characters is kind of redundant when you can kind of build those characters however you want, feed them enough sources to kind of build the stats that you want to where they make up. I mean, you can even turn the worst character catchy I mean, honestly, just can can we all just agree that Ketchy is the worst character? I never even used him that much, ever. I used him once and fucking hated it. Oh, definitely. But if you like that character, you can use him. <laughs> well, he's a trainer, and he's also just a bad fucking character. His limits suck. One of them get nets you a game over. Why would you do that? Or like um, Vincent. He's a character whose stats are great. And he's also one of the best candidates for the Deathblow materia because he has two weapons with, with 255 accuracy. But... His limit breaks are uncontrollable and can actually result in you healing the bosses that you're fighting. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of sucks. But I like how you can even take, you know, mid-tier characters like Tifa, for example. Not a great character by herself, but you can build up her damage output and turn her into a powerhouse. Equip her her, her ultimate weapon or uh, the Master Fist on her with, um, with uh, a cursed ring and just negate her instant death status. And she can deal double, triple, quadruple damage and just become a total powerhouse um, she is or, once you build her up yeah she also has another weapon that's a good candidate for death blow yeah the god's hand i mean i just put her in my squad mostly because i thought she was hot but uh, after i built her up for a while <laughs> i was like okay i can do with this i, I used her because yeah because she's hot and because i ship her with cloud and i wanted to erase yeah. her affection points as much as possible after getting Aerith as my uh as my date hey what, what, what about rude and tifa <laughs> okay so that's another part where the subtle there, there's just a subtle element in gameplay which i didn't even actually notice in my gameplay in my playthrough but rude mentions in one conversation that that you happen to overhear that he likes tifa that he's got a crush on her and she i love that she's mine bitch <laughs> you know what's funny is in the battle after that and this is an optional conversation optional boss battle and i think in the succeeding battles afterwards if you have tifa on your party he won't attack her unless Absolutely he has not. nobody else to attack. He ha there's a small chance that he might do it, but most of the time he'll just ha he'll he'll just be silent and he'll refuse to attack her because he's got a crush on her. <laughs> Fun fact. Here for it. I just love that subtle little gameplay uh, element that they threw in here. Yeah, just masterful ways of incorporating storytelling. Exactly. Yeah. Well, like, damn it, she's hot. I can't fucking kill her. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> The, the Turks are great characters in their own right. You know, you kind of you kind of grow to love, you know, characters like Rude and Reyno and Elena. I let him go. That last uh, Return to Midgar segment where you have a chance to talk him down, I did it. Because, yeah. you know, like, there's that one part of Wutai where they're just on vacation. They didn't want to do any of this. Yeah, they're, they're the just like, hey. The Paragon in me just has to do it. The Paragon fucking shepherd in me, like, I had to. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, like, like. 
what what's crazy is you know yeah they work for Shinra, and and they they're obviously contributing to the blatant classism that is going on in the society, and they get to you know live uh among the the higher echelons of society while there are people living under the slums under the rotting pizza. Yeah, but even so, they're sympathetic characters, and that's actually explored a little bit more in the remake. We'll get into that part too because uh, we actually get to see, you know, some of the reservations that characters like the Turks have. I mean, they actually got their own compilation game before Crisis. Yeah, what, what was yeah the, they did? What was the name of that game? Before was, Crisis. Before Crisis. Yeah. Before I Crisis. That. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and it, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about the the legacy and some of the the sequels, and then I guess we'll sort of wrap things up here because we're we're running on a minute, uh, an hour and a half, but. Uh, I know that we got uh, out of Final Fantasy VII. It's it's one of the only titles in the se- mainline titles in the series that actually spawned its own series. Uh, it hasn't yep. ever had a direct sequel, but it did get a movie that takes place afterwards, Advent Children. Uh, one of I, my favorite fucking movies. I want to check it out. I wanted to watch it with Bo, actually. We just didn't You'll get around love to it. it. You guys will fucking love it. There's uh, Crisis Core, which we mentioned before. That's a game that actually follows Zack. A uh, character we really didn't even get into this time, but uh, that story—that's a—that's a story that focuses on him. That's actually an action RPG with real-time combat, and that's getting remastered in December. Uh, Dirge of Cerberus—I—I I heard it was—it was met with kind of mixed reception. Yeah. But it's a—it's an action RPG third-person shooter starring Vincent. Yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. I kind of want to try it out. I. I remember it almost playing similar to Devil May Cry, just with more RPG elements, yeah. kind of. Yeah, pretty like, that's much. That's what I remember the gameplay. So we also got Before Crisis, which is defunct. You can't play it now, I guess, except through emulation. But that, that actually focused on a player-created Turk character, which is which is, sounds really interesting. Hmm. Um, there's been a couple... And then there's a new uh, game coming out for mobile called Ever Crisis. That's actually going to be a, a reimagining, a retelling of all the compilation entries. Hmm. So that okay. we can mm-hmm. kind of get some of the stories from games like Dirge of Cerberus or uh, or Before Crisis that are harder to play now. Yeah. So uh, there's also Final Fantasy VII: The First Soldier, which is the battle royale on mobile. I tried it out. I'm not really a battle royale person, so I haven't really gotten yeah. extensively into it. But yeah. it looks interesting. It's running on I think like season four or five now. Oh, oh wow. wow! No, no kidding. Yeah. And Dang. we are getting Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, the sequel to Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm sure in the next part we'll kind of discuss where we would like to see the story take place because Final, Se- Final Fantasy VII Remake only covers the Midgar portion of the story, which and arguably is... it's a is, big fucking game. I want an alternate branch that Aerith lives. Where Aerith lives. I think that's the direction they're heading in, but we'll talk about that next time. Yes, I, I so want like I So like a Final Fantasy What If... Well, yeah. kind of, sort of. Remake takes place on an alternate timeline, so and they make that clear that there are timeline alterations, and so it's clear that Aerith may actually end up surviving. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because I've only been into the intro. Like I said, I haven't been too far into the game, which I am very, very excited, and I can't wait to talk about it. Um, especially you know, like coming from you know talking about this game, and we'll talk about the next game, and the fact that Bo's playing it, and he's more of a retro gamer. I'm so proud of you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he played it with me last night. Yeah, uh, yeah, I played like the first couple of hours or so. You were, you know, what's funny is I was having some flashback moments because I remember we were in the beginning, the very beginning of the game. The first time you showed me Final Fantasy VII, let me play. You were kind of trying to teach me how to play and, and giving me tips, and we were in the same fucking section of the game, the Mako Reactor One segment. Yeah. And then the reverse was true, and I was teaching you, and I was giving you tips, and you were having a hard fucking time with those shock troopers and oh, that man, those, the scorpion battle, man. Oh, man, they were fucking kicking my ass. I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Wow. 
That's like, so cool, though. And 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 I um I actually have been talking with Alan about wanting to play this, and my brother-in-law actually. So my brother-in-law and and Yubo are like the same person. Like he's very much a retro gamer. We've been talking about buying him a Switch with um the retro um SNES controllers because we got him a SNES. Yeah. Um, so so like I want to get him more into like current gaming, especially because like I want him to play the titles that I'm playing, and I've like invited him over to the house. I'm like, hey, like come watch this. Like I really think you're gonna appreciate it as a as like a gamer and all of that. And um, uh, like I really want to play this for Alan and my brother in law just so they can see like their game, like a game like this, like coming forward to the future and like being able to like show them how to play it. Cause I'm just, that's something so exciting for me. And I, I'm sure, um, I, of course, Bo, you haven't been on the podcast with me before, but this is something that Alan and I do. And, um, it's his last week of college this week. So that's very, very exciting. Oh, nice. Um, so we're going to be getting back into like gaming together. So like one of our favorite things to do, if we're not watching like Lord of the Rings or we're not watching a TV show is we take a controller and we, we trade it off with each other and that's like our like at home date night like we'll make pizza and stuff like that so i'm i'm really really excited to play this and i hope that alan joins me for the next episode so he can talk about his first ever impression of a final fantasy game and it's seven remake which i think is just so fucking dope and i really really hope he plays it with me it's a fantastic entry into the series either one yeah. are. you can start with the remake and then play seven to get the rest of the story if you want oh yeah because it's on the switch yeah, yeah. So you can play Final Fantasy VII on the Switch. I played it. It's a decent port. It's also on PS4. You can get it on PC. Practically any console. You can even there's get even it on a mobile version. Yeah, there's iOS. Yeah. You can get it on iOS. Yeah. You can get it on iOS. Although I heard it's not a great port, and that it has well, it's not like it was originally, but like it hasn't been updated in years. Oh wow. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, it's not great. The aspect ratio hasn't even been fixed for oh, modern what? devices. It's yeah. like trying to download iOS 16 on an iPhone 6. It's just it doesn't it doesn't work very well. It's, yeah. it's not great. Yeah. So I don't recommend that port necessarily. Not that I have actually tried it, but from what I've heard and it but it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been kept up. The developers aren't supporting it anymore. But do play the, uh, <laughs> Same the thing Switch with version. Anthem. This <laughs> game and remake and also other games like Final Fantasy 15 are all a part of PlayStation Plus extras. $15 yes. a month and you can get access to to a bunch of games that range from, you know, 20 to $60. Totally worthwhile purchase and purchase at the end. I mean, and you can cancel it when you're done with the games. But you may find that there are more games. Yeah, yeah, and there's a trial period. And that's something, I know we haven't really talked about it recently, but it is something that I did want to want to talk about in this season, um, especially as we're going into games that are exclusives and, you know, things that we've been talking about coming into the season is, guys, I definitely think this is something worthy to invest in, especially if you're wanting to branch out and, like, expand your horizons. You are getting to play games like Horizon. <laughs> Speaking of, just using a little bit of nameplay there. <laughs> mm. Um but it's it's I've been looking into it because I personally have been, you know, not so much doing that and playing games on disc. Um, but to just, you know, like go out and see like games that we've been talking about or maybe other podcasters or streamers are talking about. It's definitely something to worth looking into. Um, I also we didn't mention this during the news segment, which I'm sure everybody knows by now. But the PlayStation 5 has increased by three hundred dollars for market price. Oh, um, yeah. So. Just a pro tip for everybody wanting to pick up this game because this game is almost 70 fucking gigabytes. So that's a lot of capacity on your PlayStation. One, make sure your hard drive is working well. Two, go to a licensed person or entity that can clean your shit. Cleaning your PlayStation makes all the difference. Yeah, this game overheated 
or sorry, I want to say remake actually overheated my PlayStation yeah. uh, a couple of times. Not as bad as other games do, though. <laughs> yeah, Horizon did that shit to you so much. But yeah, definitely, it's 50 bucks. I did it to my PlayStation 4, and I've been playing some high-capacity games on that shit. And it's working like it's brand new. And this thing is a first-generation PS4. So she's she's pretty old. She's a little old lady. She's she's running on some on some old stuff, but she's able to you know do what she needs to do. So guys, please get your PlayStation and xbox is cleaned um and i definitely wanted to bring that up in this episode because i think especially as we're coming forward into the season we're talking about a lot of playstation games um this is something that i i highly 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 recommend you do it's it's a great worthy investment especially if you want to have more longevity in your system especially because playstation doesn't know how to keep continuing to make fucking shit for the market and i still can't find a ps5 yeah. God damn it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Cody, get on your shit. X- Microsoft's kind of figured it out. You can actually buy an Xbox Series X or S, but PS5, and, and I, I, it's really sad because I want to get one in time for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I want to play the Yuffie uh, Intermission DLC for, for Remake. I want to get one for Ragnarok. Well, yeah, Ragnarok too. I mean, thankfully, we're still going to be able to play it on a PS4, but it's not optimized yeah. for it. You yeah, know. and that's something that's really depressing for me. And I, I did talk about this, and I, I mentioned that I would talk about it from TikTok and and, and um, on the podcast as well. Is I really, really, really wanted to see, if not a, a Final Fantasy edition, because I thought that would be super cool. Like, I want an exclusive edition PlayStation. And the fact that they're not able to bring that to the market and be able to give that and get like an engraved one or get a different cover plate, none of that is available because they just can't produce the PlayStations, and I'm really, really upset by that. I know that the industry is is suffering and that there's a, a problem because of the economy getting the parts, but hey, if Apple and Microsoft can still deliver products, Sony can too. I will yeah. say that the only times I've ever seen a PS5 like in the wild has been as pa- at pawn shops. Like Both times I've actually seen a PS5 in its physical form has been at a pawn shop. Never at a Walmart, never at a Target, n- you know, not at Best Buy. Not at Best Buy. You have to be on a waiting list with Best Buy. What the fuck? I finally, yeah. I finally got the email that I could actually uh, that I could purchase a PS5 from Sony, but I'm broke right now. <laughs> damn yeah. it! It only took yeah. like a year. God I was on it. the email list and I, I decided to skip it because um, we we got Alan a um, Xbox Series S for uh, his graduation present. So that was that was something that we, we kind of went in and did instead. But I definitely want one, and I definitely want to be able to play Rebirth on it and play, you know, all the new games on it. But we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. I'm definitely, I'm definitely not happy with PlayStation right now. I will say that. Well, all righty, folks. We've gone on long enough, Bo. Let's go ahead and get into your final thoughts on Final Fantasy VII. It is quite possibly the most paradigm-shifting game that was ever released. Like, this side of, like, Doom, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it brought JRPGs to the West and actually made it cool, you know? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it was a very niche kind of nerdy thing before, but, like, when that came out, I mean, you started to see people really get into stuff like Final... Like, like the other Final Fantasies and also other PlayStation-era RPGs, which is just my jam. Just PlayStation RPGs are just my jam. You know, Swicoden, uh, you know, what's another Eco? one? E- Eco? Yeah. Uh, what, what is it? Um, Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, yeah, Shadows of the Colossus. Yeah, those are good games. Those are PS2 more than anything, but yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, Legend of, Legend of Dragoon, Legend of Lagaya, Azure Dreams, like... I mean, it pretty much opened up the door for all of that to come here and actually be viable. I mean, we even got uh, 
around that time, we even got uh, re-releases of uh, games like Lunar Silver Star Story and everything. And you also had stuff like Star Ocean and Saga Frontier. I mean, Final Fantasy VII opened the door for all of that. And that yeah. legacy is still being felt today, you know? I mean, I'm going to tell you the truth. RPGs nowadays... Without turn-based combat, to me, it just doesn't feel the same. It seems like every RPG nowadays is just an action RPG. But this style right here is just so classic. It's so accessible. I mean, the battle system, I mean, anybody can get into it, you know. And, yeah, the story is just, it's, it's heart-rending, you know. You feel every, every painful moment. You feel every joyful moment. And even to this day, it's still elicits that response from me it's why to this day i'll still go back and i'll play it and i'll just sit there and grind shit out it's just still a fun game to put on and a fun story to experience and and there's so many different ways you can experience it hell yeah you know so that's why i feel that this is a game that's important to me it was very important to my formative years even influenced by politics to a degree you know like the, the left-wing angle it, it it influenced my politics there yeah. as well so i mean a lot there's a lot of me in that game hell yeah that's that's what i kind of feel like that game is a huge part of me personally so what about you megan i i can agree with that and i i respect that and i really really like that you said that that's that's really awesome that this game is very much monumental to you because i know that um you know you've never been on podcast episodes with me and this is our i think our first episode together i believe um, so, so yeah. i i have I haven't ever really gotten to know you outside of like, you know, just hearing about collateral cinema. So that's cool that, you know, that the, there's a game that like kind of ties people together like that. Um, for me, Final Fantasy VII was was a huge, huge part of my childhood as as much as any of the, of the games that have been released for Final Fantasy. And I love the entire universe, you know, if I can put it into a context of Final Fantasy. And it's 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 a beautiful, incredible game. I feel like it really set the blueprint for a lot of things that we're seeing today. And it's very much a a very heart impacting, like you said, story. And it's it's such a beautiful game. And I think it's something that can be that can be told throughout generations of people and of gamers. And um going into, you know, talking about the next episode, I'm really excited to see, you know, the resurgence of the Final Fantasy kind of universe here you know kind of come forward and, and bring forward new gamers and old gamers alike it's something that can you know unite all of the gamers together that yeah. have played this series and i love that and i love all of the characters in this series you know i still talk about cloud to this day and his big old fucking buster sword i love him <laughs> and i and i i can't wait to see you know more about final fantasy 7 outside of advent children because i never really got to talk about that in this episode but in the final fantasy 7 universe of itself um advent children was beautiful and i i just love that we're being able to talk about this today and that there's more coming forth and i can't wait to see how they're going to tie in that stuff to the I, future i have a proposal for you regarding advent children stay tuned okay. after the episode um okay <clears throat> yeah Ten also I, i'm, I'm going to say this final fantasy 7 this is going to be pretty much the doom of rpgs and that it, it can just infinitely be ported to all it's going to be ported over and over again for generations oh, i mean yeah, that's skyrim yeah, like Skyrim, pretty much. <laughs> it's the Skyrim of JRPG. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's it's just going to be or continuously be ported. Or the GTA over. Five. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be ported over and over again, in, in, in ad infinitum, probably. Probably, uh, there, there'll be a time where you're going to be able to play that shit on a fucking uh, implant uh, your head. 
play it in your head, but yeah, play it on a fucking uh, smart refrigerator or something like that. They, they're, they're, I mean, they found a way to play Doom on that shit. They can find a way to have Final Fantasy VII on there. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, I stand by everything that you guys said. I think that this game is not only important personally. This game is important to gaming. This game is important yeah. to, uh, to dare I say, parts of our general culture. I want to say, you know, as, as gaming is a form of escapism, having something this monumental from 25 fucking years ago really yeah. set the bar. I mean, I've heard even among, you know, Final Fantasy plots, this one really stands out. You know, it kind of goes beyond the the get the crystals plot line. I mean, this was actually planned out. Uh, Nomura and Sakaguchi and everybody else that worked on this game did a phenomenal job. And Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I think this holds up. I, I think that uh, this this is this will outlive any infamy that Nomura has gained from the Kingdom Hearts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that this game is and still important, still relevant today, holds up extremely well. You need to play it. In fact, in part two, we're going to explain why you need to play both this and the remake. They are yeah. both games that are completely different, and, and they both need to be played. And I think that, you know, go ahead and play. If you've gotten through this entire spoiler episode and you haven't played Final Fantasy VII, go play it. I recommend the Switch port. It's great because you can take it wherever you go, and it's actually a good port of the game, and it even has some neat features that make, you know, some some uh, that make the game a little bit easier to play. But and if you're a collector and you don't have this in your collection, what are you doing? Oh, you know, you you yeah. you need to track down this the physical copy of this game if you collect. Hell it's yeah. it's essential. Yeah, so there is a reason why this is the most critically acclaimed uh, game in the series. Uh, there's a reason why this this lists as number one on a lot of people's lists. There's a reason why this continues to be sold alongside its remake. Yep. You know, uh, yep. Uh, Square actually continues to to release digitally both versions of the game. So that actually yeah. really that's says something. That's something to say. Yeah, yeah, that says something about this game. But, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or feedback on your platform of choice. You can find Collateral Gaming wherever you get your podcasts. So happy to be starting Season 5 with you guys. This Yay! is going to be a Woo! fantastic season. Uh, Bo's actually going to be involved with, with, with this somewhat, you know, with so certain projects. And we're going to be doing more collaborations between Collateral Gaming and Collateral Cinema. Speaking of, what's coming up very quickly... Season six of Collateral Cinema is coming up, and we are starting the season off with an all-time classic disturbing movie, The Human Centipede, first sequence. <gasps> oh, no! Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that's the tame movie in the trilogy. That's the tamest one, honestly. <laughs> that, that's what's crazy about it. I mean, it, the series gets crazier as it goes along. So I've heard. Yeah, and also the director, Tom Six, follows us on Twitter. As well. No way. No, yeah, That's he follows dope. us on Twitter. Yeah. So, Tom, if you hear this, it's like, yeah, check out our episode. I mean, and, and, and they, need, they need to release his movie, The Onania Club. They really need to release that. Oh. Yeah. But, so And I'm, I'm excited to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake in Part 2 with you guys. It's going to be a blast. And I'm also excited to discuss the rest of the season. Uh, in October, we're going to be talking about Resident Evil 2, both, again, comparing the original and the remake. So that's going to be uh, <laughs> I believe a blast. I'm, I believe I'm going to be here for that as well. Yes, sir. Really? Yay! Yeah, because awesome. that's another series that goes way back with me. You know? yeah. All right, let's yeah. go. If I can Gosh, actually... This is all news to me. What the heck, man? <laughs> <laughs> if I can actually get to playing the remake on my PS4 without it overheating every 30 minutes. Yeah. Get your PlayStation <sighs> clean, my guy. <laughs> yeah, I need to at least come at it with some with some uh, 
some uh, condensed air. Compressed air, yeah. Compressed air. <laughs> yeah. But anywho, you can also check out Collateral Gaming and Collateral Cinema on our uh, social media outlets. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out on Patreon as well because we will be releasing and continuing to release exclusive Content, yeah. Let's yeah. Play we're video getting game there. commentaries. We're getting there. And, and, and for our Patreon, we're going to go ahead and start releasing a uh, commentary a month from here on out. Oh, wow. Like, okay. That's yeah. awesome. It's like, yeah, I mean, we've really kind of uh, neglected the Patreon a little bit, so we're going to start kind to. of putting a little right. more... Yeah, we're going to start putting a little more emphasis on that. I'd like to continue working on ours. I mean, ours is a little bit more episodic, so we can definitely do something monthly with that and continue yeah. on board with it. I'm also... Um, I haven't really talked about it, but I'm also on TikTok. Um, I do talk a lot about our, our podcast on TikTok and, you know, just kind of get into things, talk about my, my things with games. Um, I talk about a lot of recommendations and stuff like that, and I definitely promote both of us a lot. Um, so... Check me out on TikTok, and I will definitely shout any of you guys out <laughs> if you really want me to. Um, and and uh, going into season five, thank you guys so much for being with us for this this amount of time. We love all of you guys so much, and we love whenever you guys connect with us. So it's super super awesome to be con- able to continue this and just keep on talking about all the shit we love to talk about. And I'm so excited for this season. Hell yes. Hell yeah. Well, guys, this has been a super long episode. I hope I haven't forgotten anything. That being <laughs> said, I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. And I am Megan Gomez. This has been Collateral Gaming, and we are out.
Collateral Gaming is a collateral media podcast. All music and game clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.